Mike one, Mike one, isn't this a lot of fun? Two, 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 two. Someone messaged me the other day, um, Stevie's name was, and said that I sounded a bit camp when I was doing this intro. That's not very nice of him. Spinal tap. Yeah, get with it. Mike one, Mike one, isn't this a lot of fun? Two, 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 two. Camp? Does that sound camp? Not to me. (laughs) Sounds beautiful. Fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's start. Did you, America? Yes, welcome to another edition of Did You America? He's Jeremy, I'm Ian Camfield. This is season two, episode... 8,675,309. Make sure you remember that figure when I ask you again in part two. I gotcha. All right, excellent. By the way, um, can you smell that there was burning toast in this uh, apartment? Because about 30 minutes before you arrived, we recorded this podcast in my kitchen in case you're uh, a newcomer. Um, I think I nearly burned down my entire apartment complex and all I was doing was trying to toast some buns. I didn't even notice. Normally there's like the haunting aroma of every candle in the world in here, but I didn't get that today. That, by the way, is not the aroma of every candle in the world. That is normally just a three-wick candle from Bath and Body Works and if they would like to sponsor this show, this would be a great endorsement where you go, oh my God, how many candles were you burning before I came in today? The scent of bergamot waters is just so everywhere and i go literally three wicks for about 10 minutes that's all you need if you go to bath and body works did the new york producer not tell you they emailed they want nothing to do with this podcast (laughs) oh come on they would love me um no so i um hot cross buns you you know buns right yeah 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 yeah. but food i usually know every food right okay yeah yeah yeah. but hot cross buns are one of these uh, few things that i i like from uh from shitsville and i don't know why um they're not really a thing here and now i will say this they're basically just buns with a bit of fruit in them they call them current buns in the uk do you know what i mean sure can you translate this for americans it's food yeah but buns with a little bit of like fruit in them they get it okay but do you call them bun what do you call them we would call them buns with fruit okay right so in shitsville all year round they have buns with fruit they call them current buns but around Easter time, they changed to hot cross buns because Jesus died for us on the cross, ah, right? And basically... all hot cross. Yeah, so basically it's exactly the same except they've got a, a, a hot cross on the top of the bun. Oh, so you know, like, like, you know, you know, like Satanists do inverted crosses in their forehead. This is the probably not Christian. It's just another way of selling more produce from the local bakeries. But they, 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 they burn like a little a, a cross into the top of the bun. I always figured that was a T for time to eat buns. No, it's a cross oh. for, for Easter. This is very different to Jesus seen in toast. By the way, what this do they is... do for Passover? I don't know what they do for that. Ah, okay. But anyway, I found some in Sprouts yesterday, and I was very excited. 
they've got hot cross buns because you know there's very few things that are British traditions that I crave in America most things I'm quite happy to never see or experience again right and uh, but you know I you know warm bread is the is the is the best thing but anyway I basically the, but these the, the, they they got very experimental in sprouts the crosses on these buns were made with icing. Right. Oh wow! And so that so I had to. I'm te- sold. Yeah, you don't so, have to go any further. I had to text someone to say, um, "I want to warm these buns up so they'll be like hot bread," but I've got the issue that there's I, I don't want the icing to melt. This is going to be a delicate operation. Right. And I said, "P.S. Cooking's so difficult." <laughs> and she, and so she said, "So all you got to do is just slice open the buns, toast the inside so it's not the top bit." that's got the cross and then you'll you'll be good by the way it took her five text messages till i understood that she meant toast the inside so this is what i don't know why i'm telling you this story but basically i essentially tried to toast what is what would amount to a couple of little bits of bread because these are little buns Right. right i've figured out having lived in this apartment for a year that broil in the oven means grill never knew that before (laughs) yes right i had to google that because my friend my friend was saying you must have a grill in the oven so i oh broil means grill that's american speak okay so now i put this in i left it for like i thought a minute i had a pee by the time i came back there was smoke coming out of the oven then the alarm went off and then i opened all of the windows and the doors and i couldn't stop the alarm and i thought oh my god the last time this happened in this apartment complex was last fourth of july when some stupid neighbors put some used fireworks in the trash chute and the fire brigade got called which is irresponsible living, but at least it was 4th of July and it was caused by some disused fireworks that they put in the wrong place. I've just tried to uh, to toast some buns for, for, you know, for Jesus being put on the cross and I've nearly burnt down half of Deep Ellum. This is what he died for? <laughs> I, uh, you know, I see you more as a microwave type of guy. I think using the oven was a huge mistake. See, I should have texted you and said, have you got any culinary advice on how to toast some bread? Because my, uh, but the, my, my text I sent back to my friend who went into great detail about how I get my hot cross buns warmed up, but she said, maybe in the future, just put them in the microwave for like 10 seconds to warm the bread and then just be done. Yeah, well, I mean, not to call you out or anything, but... Over your shoulder, I'm looking at your kitchen, and you have a toaster right there. Oh on yeah, your but counter. the bre- but the bread won't. The buns are too big for the toaster. Oh uh, okay. Also, they yeah. The, you're the, a microwave sp- guy from now on. Sprouts, yeah. Maybe just like seal up the rest of. Well, to be honest, if I set the fire alarm off any more times, the apartment complex is probably going to come in and just seal off all of my other appliances <laughs> and go. Okay, you can stay, but only microwave for you from now on. You know what? Microwave might be too difficult. Just eat them frozen. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, burnt some toast, nearly uh, burnt, burnt down half of Deep Ellen. Well, not some toast. I mean, it turned out like toast. I just wanted warm bread. It looked like, you know, actual, it had be, been burnt to a crisp. Well, that candle is doing its job, sir, because I smell nothing. Let's just start. That could be, you know, COVID, but who knows? <laughs> no, because you're vaccinated Previous now, right? COVID. Right. No, no, give us a, because, a, a, uh, you know, we're uh, promoting people getting the vaccine and you're now several weeks into having two doses and so far no uh, flu-like symptoms. No, no flu-like symptoms. I have these horns and I don't really know how to cover them up. Did you um, see, I thought of you over the weekend, there's this, uh, I think it's in Nashville, you, you might be fancying a move to Nashville. There's a strip club that's offering a VIP 
I think it was a lifetime membership if you if you've been vaccinated. Wow. I don't know. Actually, you know, I'm saying this. I'm questioning right now, like, can I handle that much chlamydia? <laughs> I'm wondering if you can handle a strip club that has any kind of membership. I'm thinking, like, <laughs> your strip clubs are just doors that don't advertise on the doors what they are. You knock three times and they let you in with a password. I don't know that you go to any strip clubs that are high-end enough to have actual cards that you hand over to get into. No, definitely not. <laughs> I apparently... Uh, the country is having a real problem with fat, ugly dudes getting vaccinated because the two best vaccine deals I've heard so far is this lifetime membership at the strip club and Krispy Kreme handing out free donuts for vaccines. Right, yeah. I, I'm going to I take back everything I said because the uh, I'm reading more about this article. Apparently, a VIP lifetime membership is worth three and a half grand. It's not It's not your type of strip club. If, yeah, there, no. if, if there was a strip club that were being um, uh, COVID-aware... And they were offering a deal that you could come in for a reduced price and get a Krispy Kreme on the way in if you'd had the two vaccines. That might be more your speed. Yeah, right? that's a win. Instead, I'm going to have to go take out two grannies for their stimulus checks, and then I'll hit up that strip club. Uh, what's the March Madness doing? Any updates? Oh, man. You just had to go there and ruin my day, huh? Well, you you set this up as, you know, we were going to do a regular betting segment because you bet on everything, and we're two weekends in now. That, yeah. That's when I thought I was going to be a winner this year for March Madison. It's been a very difficult year. So far, um, nothing but underdogs are winning. I'm a guy who I like to bet on favorites. That's just kind of the way I do things. Usually... Uh, games end up being a lot closer, so you can uh, manipulate the spread certain way. But no, this year has been really rough. I've uh, I've gotten to the point where I no longer have budget to gamble with, and I've resorted to texting my friends like, "Can someone Venmo me fifty bucks so I can gamble? I swear I'll hit you with ten percent of the winnings." This is when you've got a problem, right? This is the first. Oh, this is what a problem is. Oh, yeah, no, I have one of those. <laughs> I uh the good news is is my two my picks for the finals this year are both still in it. I have Michigan playing Baylor in my bracket. I have Michigan winning the whole thing. So both of those are still options. Baylor plays tonight, I believe. Maybe tomorrow. I don't right. know. Has my favorite none. Oh, uh, they lost. Yeah. She died. Dead. <laughs> yeah, they killed her. Well, you killed her, but no, she didn't really die, but the team died. Oh, okay. They got beat out by Oregon State, who I guess has like a 101-year-old fan of their own, so the, all the luck got transferred. Apparently, Jesus likes her a lot better. Oh. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a rough go at it this year, but hey, we have two more weeks left. I feel a turnaround coming. Right. You, but, but this, and you're just uh, sending another text message now going, if you could just Venmo me $50, I feel a turnaround coming at this point. Well, hey, I'll get a paycheck by Friday. I mean, we're in the money. We're going for the long run. I, uh, have you ever heard of the artist David Cho? No. Oh, he's an eccentric artist, and like he, he's like a multimillionaire. He actually made a ton of money where he, when he was like coming up in art, he sold a painting to like the Facebook guys, and they gave him Facebook stock, and he became like an ultra billionaire because of it. Anyways, he made like his he claims he made his first few million from gambling. I was listening to an old interview with him the other day. And he gave the perfect strategy for gambling. I think I'm going to do this and become a millionaire. It's the hit and run strategy. So you go with like $500, let's say to the casino. And the moment you make that first winning, like whether it's $20, whether it's $100, you leave. You just take that winning. So every single time you go to the casino, you leave a winner and you just go every day. 
Right. So I think I'm going to move to Oklahoma and become a professional gambler until I'm a millionaire. Right. So we can do the podcast from there. The guy uh, who had a bit of luck with art and Zuckerberg who had a bit of luck with Facebook. I don't know. Like, these are very... I've been trying to sell this podcast as an NFT, though. So the moment someone buys up us up on that, I have a little bit of funds to play with. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, breaking news while we're recording this uh, podcast, which is on um, Monday afternoon Central Time. Uh, the ship that was blocking the Suez Canal has managed to reverse park or whatever the three-point turn <laughs> version of a shipping lane is because apparently the Suez Canal is now unblocked. I, I haven't been keeping up to date with um, every breaking news bit of this story. Um, for example, I can tell you that my web browser this weekend has not been squirting in the direction of is the ship still stuck.com. But no, that actually existed. Someone someone actually set up a website wow, of course. for for uh, the, uh, the 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 Suez Canal drama. Um, and Google just bought them for like 2.5 million dollars. It's crazy. So, um apparently yeah, the 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 ship is moving. Um but is it, I mean, so not knowing all the details, it looked to me like a situation from a grocery store parking lot where you've got someone who's not particularly good at reverse parking or some sort of <laughs> right. parallel parking and a bunch of cars get their waiting or they're, you know, there's there's not enough space for everyone to, to, to go through at the same time. Was this essentially a, a situation where there were a couple, two ships that started this before the backlog and they were having a, no, you need to back up, go round the, co have you seen the size of my stern? That's a part of a ship, isn't it? It is now. The poop deck, have you, that, is that on a, that is on a ship, isn't it? I have it? a huge poop deck. I, the, look at the size of my poop deck. I can't make it round that corner. You need to back up and then I'll go around there and do that was basically what I see happening. Yeah, I, I mean like I'm no ship captain. I just play one on the podcast we do, but we uh you know I feel like there should be signs, you know, when you're when you're driving on a highway, they put for overpasses the height. So if you know you're in a big truck and you can't fit under there, don't go flying past it at 80 miles per hour. I feel like there should be signs in front of the Suez Canal. Like if you're a giant ship, you probably shouldn't drive through this tiny passage. I don't know. I mean, on the canal, is there... Um is there a right of way? I mean, is this the shipping version of a British person coming to America and driving on the wrong side of the road? I mean, I don't know. We we don't know who was, the, as you say, the captain of this ship. Were they confused? I don't know who has the right of way. I've not spent a lot of time at sea, but you're right. I don't remember seeing many sea markings as to, you know, narrow lane coming up right. overhead. Like, what, you well, know, you know watch be... out for that island. It's going to be a bit, a, bit, a bit of a tough turn. I know on lakes, they have buoys set up, and sometimes those buoys will be like, hey, no wake here. So maybe you'd think they'd have a buoy like, hey, thin canal here. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I, but it does seem like the, the I, I still get um, caught with parallel parking like driving on the other side of the of the road i'm fine with with driving on the uh on the other side of the road in the states because it's the um you drive on the left in the uk um and I'm probably if i had to drive in the uk now i would be more feeling more out of place trying to do that right having, we did it right 
I'm not saying. Well, I think it's only. Yeah, we did it right. Um, yeah, I'm not arguing with that. I think it's only the UK and Australia that drive on the other side of the oh, road. Oh, really? I thought it was literally everywhere else, but here. Let's see now. Now, now you're sounding like one of those Americans that's never left the country. Well, I, I am indeed one of those Americans. I've left the country very few times, and when I did, I didn't do a lot of looking around. Maybe Japan as well. I think it's definitely the UK and Australia and possibly Japan, as far as I know, okay. are the only two places that drive on the left side of the road and everyone else is on the right side of the road. Um so I'm used to driving on the right side of the road because, uh, you know, I've had the great privilege of living in a proper country for about five years now. I'm touching my wood table, touch wood. Uh, that continues for um, for quite some time. But there are certain things because here in the great state of Texas, there's a lot of space and you've built uh, roads for cars and everywhere has a parking lot. So right. the parking and stuff isn't particularly difficult you normally find a spot and you just drive into it right yeah on very few occasions when i have to do street parking because i've done so little of it it's still really strange for me to do a parallel park being on the other side of the car and i that's when i'm causing like a suez canal version in in dfw because there'll be there'll be there'll be traffic that's waiting behind me and they're going Oh my god, he thinks he's gonna reverse it. Like I've I, I, I out of shame and for holding up people's days, I've done like two attempts and I still can't do the parallel and then I just give up on the parking spot and drive around the block again. I never thought about that. That you know what? That's uh we talk about Brussels sprout syndrome on this podcast, things that started in England and we made better in America. Right. But the opposite of that, cucumber syndrome, things that Britain did correct that we haven't caught on yet, that might be one of them. Parallel parking becomes way easier when you're on the side right next to the curb. I never even thought about it. Now you have to look over a whole entire car. That's why it's the most difficult thing ever. I, you know, I grew up here in Texas. I've been driving for 12 years. I think I learned how to parallel park properly last year. Right. Because there's parking lots. That's the best thing about DFW. You can just there's, pull up and park. There are parking lots everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, totally. Um, but yeah, I did. There was one time um, back in the UK. When um, my um, well, my mate tells a story that my parallel parking when I first p uh, passed my driving test was so bad the police came. But I think they ju <laughs> oh, they no. just they just happened to be there. I um, this is when I was seventeen. You drive at seventeen in the UK. I just passed my driving test, and there was a Motorhead show. Right, and me and my buddy are going to go. And I've now I'm I'm all oh I want to drive everywhere because I've just got my of license. Course. I'm living in Essex, which is. Uh, out of town from London. Motorhead are playing in central London. So imagine, that, how can I make this American? This would be like for a, if you were living in, say, Jersey, you've literally just got your license and you go, I'm going to drive into the middle of Manhattan, <laughs> find okay. parking next to whatever the, 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 the next to CBGBs, right? And, and we're going to drive to the Motorhead show. Okay. And uh, you think it's a good idea until you get to the middle of Manhattan and see what the driving's like and see, yeah. like, the limited availability of parking. <laughs> Why is everyone honking at me? <laughs> <laughs> Literally. But I did this... Um, in uh, we, we we found this uh, parking spot after driving round and round and round the, the centre of London. Like we were almost late for the Motorhead show, and I remember trying to reverse park as a seventeen-year-old who just passed his driving test into this one spot, and there were cars. It was in a square as well. Okay, uh, like literally backing up around the square honking their horns i don't think anyone called the police i think they were just on their patrols but at one point like a police car 
Oh God! <laughs> and the police day one driving, <laughs> and the policeman like got out of the car, his car, goes up to my car and goes, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and I'm like trying to get into that parking spot. And he looks at the angle my car is currently, and obviously it's a you know a spot that's got the, the lines on right. it, and goes from that angle. You think you can reverse into there? <laughs> so um, did you get in there? No, I think he oh. said. I think you need. There's parking like two streets up. You need. To, you need to get. So what are you doing? I said, I'm going to a motorhead show. And he's like, Have you just passed your driving test? And I go, It's that obvious. He goes, That line of traffic is what's making it obvious. Right. Way for you to like reverse in. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, as far as the Suez Canal goes, um, I just want to let you know that the although the uh, they've now done their reverse parking and everything's fine, and now people can pass on the uh, on the Suez Canal. Apparently, one of the things that got held up, because the issue was there's loads and loads of trade that comes through the Suez Canal on, on boat and produce and such like, um, it included a delivery of adult toys. So, you know, when the coronavirus hit and there was a run on toilet paper, right. you might find that happening for adult toys now, because apparently one of those huge ships was pretty much just full of dildos. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and you know, when there's been a big backlog, although the Suez Canal is now open, there's been some rerouting going on. Right. And apparently they might have to go via Africa or something. My geography's not particularly strong. The point being, if you're expecting something fun to arrive in the post... That new battery-operated uh, implement may be uh, may be delayed, and there may actually be a shortage for at least for the time being on adult toys. So after that, it'll be like Christmas for the orgy community. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But if you were ex- if you were uh, planning on, on having an orgy uh, pretty soon, with which these, we know we are, with those with those adult toys, um, you know, they could be a bit late. A bit like me get trying to get to that motorhead gig, age seventeen. Bit late because of my uh, you know my lack of parking. Right. Um, let's talk about um, booze. This was uh, something that I read today. How long it took you to find your drink and the age at which you could appreciate good booze? 13. <laughs> That's a very definitive answer. Yeah, it's the fact. Yeah. I. Uh, so my dad was always, uh, he was a Tito's vodka drinker, no matter what. That was always his go-to. He'd come home at night, pour himself a big glass, uh, tune us all out, you know, in his misery, and then drunkenly go to bed at night. But because he always had the big, huge jug of Tito's in the house, I mean, that was easy pickings. He wasn't going to notice a little bit being pulled out every Friday and Saturday night. So when me and my friends first started experimenting with drinking, that's you know, was always my go-to, and I watched him drink so you know, I wasn't no bitch. I wasn't going to use Chaser. Right. So I learned how to drink my Tito's straight up. And to this day, that's what I drink. Tito's on the rocks, maybe a little bit of lime. Call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I think I probably found my drink at, um, what age? 19, probably. Yeah. Cause I left home at 19 and I had pussy. <laughs> I know you were on the streets by 13 right. just trying to get some Tito's off of anyone that would give you I any I just need some man <laughs> um, and I had a roommate and uh, we um, 
we decided that uh, I just discovered Jack Daniels, but I wasn't pouring it the way that, you know, I, I, I came to pour it. Right. Uh, that probably happened about six months later. But the... Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Started with a lot of Coke. The Coke <laughs> turned into a little drop by the end. I remember... Um, uh, so it was a big thing. Like, both we were friends and both of us moved into this two-bed place in London. So we, we were both had both been living outside of town. And, um, you know, so 19 years of age, we're both working and we're like, this is great. It's our first place. And he had the idea on the day that we moved in. And he said, and at this time, this was the most like groundbreaking. Wow, what a, we're so cool. He went, you know, we should always have a bottle of Jack Daniels in the apartment. And I went, <laughs> yeah, what a great idea. I think it took probably about six months until I decided that there needed to be two bottles of Jack Daniels in oh, the apartment. No. Because what about if you finished one and it was three o'clock in the morning and you didn't have another one to drink from? Like that was, uh, you know, uh, so... Um, I now know the feeling you feel when I tell my gambling stories. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think, yeah, I could safely say uh, sort of age 19, uh, Jack Daniels um, became my friend. Um, and I never really deviated apart from uh, I discovered Maker's Mark uh, at some point in my 20s, right. which is which is similar to Jack Daniels. For sure. I mean, you just can, with a cooler top. Well, that was what there were two things that drove me to Maker's Mark. First of all, that melted red wax. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a very cool. it's a great looking bottle. And secondly, although you could get it, it wasn't readily available at most liquor stores in the UK, which kind of gave me another thing to go fucking shits, Phil, about, you know, <laughs> I could go into any store in a proper country and get my maker's mark, but right. in the UK, it's a lot harder to come by. So I would kind of um, alternate between the two. Um, but I think, um, and you know, eventually, I mean, this is another reason why I, I gave up drinking a couple of years ago, because I don't feel like I miss it that much because I drank enough for probably three people's lifetimes because uh, oh, wow. as I said, that sort of uh, age 19, hey, it's our first apartment. We should always have a bottle of Jack Daniels right. in the apartment because we're that cool. Very quickly, we need two bowls. And as you said, like the amount of Coke that went in as a mixer was getting more and more depleted. I mean, I think I had different roommates until eventually I could afford a place on my own. But I do think it was while I was still living with that first roommate, he came home from work one day and I was uh, just in the front room, probably enjoying an episode of Columbo by myself with, <laughs> some, with some Jack and Coke. And, right. he made, and he made the observation... You're drinking Jack and Coke from pint glasses now. Oh, aren't they no. aren't they meant from for beer? I'm like, it's my preferred size of vessel. <laughs> That's uh did you ever get to the point where like you started thinking that empty bottles of liquor were like cool decoration for oh, the yeah, house. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you put candles in <laughs> that them? Was, that was that was oh. before before I discovered scented candles and Bath and Body Works, like just candles in them. See, yeah, that's actually being creative. When I was in college, that was like the cool thing to do was just to have like like how you have in your kitchen that little area on the top of your counters mm. where there's just like a space between the walls. That would be filled with empty liquor bottles and not even cool ones that were expensive, like the cheapest of vodka. But at that point, though, I think it's probably good because if you're doing that when it's your first place, your first apartment or house or whatever, 
you're kind of doing it in a <laughs> look how much I drank. Right. Then when you get to the point of like trying to hide how much you're drinking and getting rid of the bowls, yeah. that's like a, that's like a, a whole other thing. I tell you, in, t- in terms of uh, drinking from pint glasses, I do remember. Um, Several years later, uh, I made f- friends with someone who lived down the street, and she liked to uh, stay up all night and drink as much Jack Daniels as as, as I did. And at one point, um, <laughs> I don't know if I've confessed this on the podcast before, oh, no. but at one point, my it became a thing of like, oh, I, I drink Jack and Coke from pint glasses because you know it's my preferred uh, size of vessel, right? As I said, and. Um, at one point, I was. I remember being up really late or really early in the morning, probably by this point, and very drunk in in her apartment. And I'm going, I'm like, oh, fix us some more drinks. We we're probably singing bad '80s metal, like annoy, annoying the neighbors at that point. I was such a fun drunk. <laughs> uh, don't you don't you regret you didn't know me when I was drinking? I really do. <laughs> and um, we would have had a lot of fun. And um, this what? podcast would never have happened though. <laughs> at one point, I go to uh, one of her kitchen cabinets. And um, I take out um, what I think is a pint glass, and I go like, "Oh, I'm gonna switch up my, uh, I'm gonna switch up my glass," because I didn't know that she had. That's a really cool looking pint glass. So I fix us both drinks, right? Go back into like the main living room area, and she takes a look at my new what I think is a pint glass, and goes, "Ian, I may be really drunk now, but you're drinking from a vase." <laughs> You're like, I thought it tastes like flowers. <laughs> it was earthy to me. I think it was a clean vase, yeah, but she's like, sure. I, <laughs> at that point, I liked a bit of earth with my Jack right. Daniels. See, I think uh, it was a cocktail. This story shows just what different phases of life we're at once again, because you now looking back, see that as like, oh my God, what a mess. I was drinking. Jack and Jack Daniels from Pint Glasses. And a vase. Me this weekend, I, uh, me and my friends have a tendency that I brought this up on the podcast before. We like to go to hibachi mm-hmm. way too much. Like, not just for each other's birthdays. Like, two, three times a month, we'll go and get way too drunk and eat hibachi. So, I like uh, sake bombs. So, you know, normally you order the sake bombs. They give you the little glass for, like, a shot of beer and the little shot glass for the sake. I couldn't do that anymore. So I just said, like, bring me a pint glass. And I, I filled that up with beer and I dumped the entire sake into that beer and, you know, just uh, slammed that. Yeah. So now that, I guess, got the chef, like, really worked up watching me get that drunk while he's cooking. And he had, like, a ketchup dispenser bottle full of nothing but sake for the rest of the meal. He's just shooting it, shots into my mouth. I cleared out his whole bottle of sake. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I thought that was a fun night. You're looking at me like, this guy's got a problem. No, I mean, well, definitely with gambling. I don't know necessarily so much with booze. I mean, I kind of take that as, well. Wow, that's just great customer service. God bless America. He got a huge tip. <laughs> right, there you go. That's what a he was drunking for. huge tip. <laughs> So I kind of think like, yeah, I don't know, good for you. Um, so yeah, I um, definitely uh, decided that that was my drink of choice at uh, um, at nineteen. And then you know the way that you, you that you made it was always about you know when I moved to a proper country and I would drink out of red cups rather than pint glasses. Again, they were big enough. The ch- the trick then was a ton of ice, right? And I, if anyone ever made me a drink in my apartment, I would just say to them. Loads of ice, 
make it swim in the Jack Daniels, <laughs> right? So you get your red, your red cup, you put a load of ice in, enough Jack Daniels to make it swim, and then uh, just a splash of Coke. And sometimes people would open my fridge and there'd be like two cans of uh, Diet Coke left in there. They'd go like, oh, Ian, you're running low on Coke. I'm like, that'll be fine for a couple of days. <laughs> we're, we're not going to use a lot of that. Oh, it was, my, it was, it was always be uh, take the red cup, Right? Yeah. You should be with the Jack and Coke in the red cup. You should be able to take a sniff of that red cup and feel slightly drunk. That's when you know you, that. That's when you know you've got a good mix. That's a good right? drink, right? It's there. like uh, you know, don't stir it; it'll stir you. That, and you should feel stirred from the sniff. Right. I want a child to be hurt by this. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got lots of other things to uh, discuss, uh, but let's do a quick song of the week update before we set you up with some new songs to vote for. Uh, last week, I went for After Coffee by Joywave. Well done, Joywave. You get 72% of the vote. Oh, wow. But Jeremy, not doing badly, considering that you used to have the least popular song pretty much week after week. A CEO by Snoop Dogg, 23% of the vote. Number two, I'll take it. And uh, New York Producer's Choice uh, with just 5%, Cherry in Tacoma by Benjamin Francis Leftwich. If this was a professional podcast, I would have just read out those re results in the reverse orders so you didn't know from the start that Joy Wave won. Oh, no, change it up. Note to self. That's why we do things differently here on Did You America. <laughs> Otherwise, this would be Did You Guatemala. Uh, so, yeah, thank you if you voted. Uh, there will be three new choices for you to vote for via our website or uh, get on Twitter to talk to us. Uh, and we'll get to that in part two of Did You America. Okay, let's do part two of Did You America. If you want to get in touch with the show, uh, you can talk to us at didyouamerica.com. You can literally talk to us there. If you want to send us a voice message or if you don't want to hear your voice on this podcast, you can always type to us via the website as well. Uh, it's also where you can vote for Song of the Week or you can do that online on my Twitter. I am at Ian Canfield on Twitter. Here are the three new choices for you this week. I am going with Fly in the Soup by Black Spiders, who are a British rock band. They've been around for a while. They went on hiatus, I think, uh, during uh, lockdown in 2020. They decided that actually they could make music remotely, zooming and exchanging files. And uh, it's worked for them. They put out a, a, an eponymously titled album last Friday. And uh, Fly in the Soup is the opening track from it. So my choice on Song of the Week this week, Fly in the Soup by Black Spiders. Uh, for my choice, I went with Falling Out the Sky by Armand Hammer, The Alchemist, and The Alchemist featuring Earl Sweatshirt. And New York producer going with Sunshine by Kareen. If you want to vote, I'll get a poll on my Twitter, at Ian Camfield, or you can vote on the website, didyouamerica.com. Fly in the Soup by Black Spiders. Falling Out of the Sky by Armored Hammond and The Alchemist featuring Earl Sweatshirt. You got it. Or New York Producer's Choice, Sunshine by Kareen. Thank you if you uh, cast any votes for our songs of the week. All right, brace yourself. We're going to talk about something that uh, a lot of people find disgusting on this podcast right now. Earwax. Ooh. Earwax and TikTok. Um, Both things disgusting. I've uh, I thought the TikTok was uh, just for uh, ten year olds who want to dance around. Uh, I just want to dance, right? Or twenty eight year olds who act like ten year olds who just want to dance. My issue is, is that I don't have to dance though because I make money moves. 
Is that true? Yes. Well, I, I mean, there might be... Some people are making a fortune out of TikTok. I'm not suggesting that there isn't a TikTok market for fat Walter Becker. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I Because as, as I'm about to tell you, the TikTok market um, is expanding... Um, fat Walter Becker at 28 dancing to Steely Dan. I know that bucks the trend for what 10-year-olds are dancing to uh, uh, as far as TikTok goes, but you could be widening the TikTok appeal. Nothing says dance now like dirty work. <laughs> oh, that is my favorite Steely I know Dan it is. song. Oh. <laughs> when, I, um, when I worked on the UK uh, radio, um, I was very, very angry when I lived in Shitsville because uh, you know I, I don't like it there. And um, I used to do this show in radio. Uh, everything's computerized, right? And you have these things called hotkeys, which are um, little jingles or idents or stuff, but you can just play them at the touch of a button. So right. if you, you know, you, sometimes you listen to shows and they've got regular drops or bits of music that they use regularly. Uh, but normally it would be sound effects or, you know, music that people talk over or whatever. I, I used to get so angry about just being stuck in Shitsville and desperately wanting to move to a proper country, that my most um, experience, well, actually he wasn't, he was an intern at the time, but he, he definitely became like the, my, the, the best producer that I had um, in the UK. He figured out that a way to calm me down, because I was working with other people on this radio show to make me just more bearable right was he put dirty work by steely dan on one of those hotkeys right <laughs> so whenever there was someone said something or there was something in the news or my jack daniels wasn't strong enough <laughs> or someone screwed up my coffee order and i was just like <laughs> he'd go ian i think it might be time for dirty work <laughs> and they're on the hotkeys i just like and it just start oh, so therapeutic. The issue with that, though, is when you finally got so angry you had to quit, your boss came in, asked you to do something, you stood up, you said, I refuse to do your dirty work. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do your dirty work. No, oh, just so great. A song so great that Steely Dan couldn't sing it. They had to get in other people to sing, <laughs> to, 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 to sing that song. Right. That's how great it is on their, uh, on their debut album. Imagine, imagine being a band that is so great, which Steely Dan are. They write material that's so amazing and neither of them could sing. They go, this is a great song. It might be our best, even though it's on our first album and we're going to do like 10 more albums beyond this. We're going to need someone else to sing this. Yeah, I just like that Fagan at one point was just like, I'm really tired of making other people sing these songs. I want the stardom. Yeah, that did that did come uh, further down the line. But um, but they were good. That, that was another thing Steely Dan used to do because essentially it was the two of them. It was probably just a good way of like just making more money because Steely Dan essentially is Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. But they had such a high opinion of themselves that they wouldn't put a band around them. They thought that their songs that they wrote were so amazing that every time they had a new song, they'd basically audition new people, not to join the band, just to play on that one song. So right. they, could, they couldn't have a regular drummer or keyboard player. They would recruit people just for specific songs because that was how much of a high opinion they had of one another. They were so good, they essentially just brought in Michael McDonald to be like, play piano sometimes. Don't <laughs> You're not a member of this band. Maybe you can go be a part of the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Doobie Brothers might be happy to have you full time, but we're just going to get you in just for a couple of piano bits and pieces here and there. And Michael McDonald say, uh, Donald Fagan, 
but you play piano and keyboards. Now Fagan goes, yeah, 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 but I'm trying to see if I can get in key on Dirty Work and it's not working. I'm <laughs> focusing on that. You need to play the piano. How did we get onto Steely Dan? I was going to talk about Somehow earwax. Earwax, yes. Huh. How did we get here? I don't know. As Talking Heads asked at one point. Do you know that song? I How did we get song. here? New song discussion. <laughs> <laughs> This is the bit of the podcast where Jeremy and I talk about songs, but we've done Song of the Week, stuff that was out this week. For the rest of the podcast, we're only going to discuss songs that are at least 40 years old. It's really our wheelhouse, you know? (laughs) TikTok, that's Ah. how we got onto this. So, yeah, that's today's million-dollar idea. Fat 28-year-old Walter Becker lookalike dances to Steely Dan on TikTok. Make a note of that. Boom. The evidence that TikTok is now more than just 10-year-old girls dancing around to songs that I probably have never heard of is that doctors are now in on the TikTok trend. And uh, I think it's had about 40 million views. Um, This was a doctor pulling a load of earwax out of someone's ear. So I told you we were going to discuss it. With the, I've warmed you up with right. some, I don't want to do your dirty work. See, now what, you know what could have made this video get 50 million views? If Dirty Work by Steely Dan was playing in the background while this doctor was pulling out the earwax. Nothing relaxes people like Dirty Work by Steely Dan. Not only that, that not, it is very dirty work to do what that doctor is doing. That's what the song's about. Right. Earwax. I mean, you got the guy... A skateboarding to Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. This could be the new dreams. Pulling out earwax to Steely Dan. <laughs> it's a new theme. Pulling out earwax to Steely Dan. Get on it, kids. So it's become a big thing on uh, TikTok because, as I said, uh, uh, over 40 million views, I think. Um, and uh, people are now apparently um, fascinated by it. Am I going to sound disgusting by saying that, well, now, doctors will tell you I've heard this phrase from doctors. You shouldn't put anything smaller into your ear than your elbow, which is basically a doctor's way of saying nothing should go in your ear unless right. unless you're actually a, a trained doctor. But have you ever had like, like, like the earwax in your ear and you, and you do, and if your fingernails are a certain length and you get in there and you have a little prod around and you manage to pull it out yourself, I mean, that is a feeling that is probably beyond... The relaxing effects of dirty work by Steely Dan. <laughs> yeah. Has anyone else had that experience? I'm a big Q-tipper. So no, like see, that's what when that's where the don't when they say don't stick anything smaller than your elbow in your ear. That's basically a doctor's way of going. I legally can't tell you that Q-tips are a terrible idea, but Q-tips are a terrible idea. But it feels so good when you like go past that barrier and like kind of scratching at your brain a little bit. Right, 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 right. Now that's orgasmic. <laughs> so I um. Years ago, I went to uh, get my uh, my ears seen to because um, I started getting this earache in one ear, and um, I thought it was you know some sort of like congested earwax. And uh, I remember my nan used to go annually to get her ears syringed because she had a buildup of wax. And my dad did the same thing as well. So I don't know if like that can be like a, a hereditary thing. What do you mean syringed? I don't know if it's a thing that people still do, but they would take. You used to be able to go to the doctor if you, if you, if if by some, for some reason you built up more wax than the average person, right. and they would recommend that you do it annually. So the Camfields are a waxy bunch, apparently so. And um, my nan 
Uh, the, so they go now. When I say have the ear syringe, I think what the the process used to be is that they get a syringe and they put it in your ear, but not to. Uh, you're starting to look. Yeah, at no, it started to creep me out. But keep going. I I have to hear this. But not to, uh, not like you're having a vaccine or something like that. They fill the syringe with water and they inject. I, I think I'm right in saying this is how it works. They inject water into your ear to, I guess, soften the wax and then use the syringe as a suction device to okay. then suck up the water combined with wax. So it's not like a needle going into no, your No, ear. no, no. Okay. Well, well, but the similar process, like you're putting the water into your ear. So you're basically flooding your ear canal to then get the water back out to remove the wax. And my nan used to tell the story, oh, I have so much built up. There would be Bowlesworth. She Aww. would tell this story that every... Grandma Camfield, that's disgusting. <laughs> I'd be like, I did used to think, it sounds a bit disgusting. I'd be thinking, oh, can we not just make a cup of tea using your Charles and Diana <laughs> wedding <laughs> wedding <laughs> cutlery and teas and sauces? And, um... I'd rather hear my grandmother's sex stories. <laughs> Well, my nan, basically, like, once they got to the age where they were too old to have sex, I think her next favourite thing was getting her ears syringed. Because... <laughs> well, I get that. <laughs> you're not even 30 and you're right. getting there. Oh, I told you before, it's an orgasmic feeling. <laughs> so I think there may be something in your theory because she would tell this story, but she didn't make it sound that disgusting because although, you know, syringe in the ear... Pulling out so much wax, it would fill fill bowls of wax. That's what she used to say. She could go, "Oh, and Ian, bowls come out, right?" <laughs> but 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 she used to say, "It's the most relaxing feeling ever, right? Yeah. It's the most relaxing." And I'd say, "Oh, okay." And then my dad didn't extol the virtues of it as much as his mum did because my dad doesn't really see good in anything. He just wants to moan about the next thing that he right. wants to moan about. But I do remember he used to go get his ears syringed and he also used to say, oh, you know, it's quite relaxing. Fast forward several years. Now, I am a, a radio presenter on the radio and uh, back in Shitsville, I used to do a metal show. Now, I love metal, as you know. I used to want, when I was hosting like my metal show on the radio, I used to want to make it feel like I was at a gig, right? So I had an amplifier built for my headphones. So I could have my headphone, yeah. That's insane. So if you're- So you were just asking for ear damage. If you're, I was like, I need to get to that point where it's so relaxing of getting the bowls full of wax. That's like what I, what I want. So I used to go, I used to, if you work in radio, you plug headphones into a control desk and then you can turn the volume in your headphones up and down. Right. I had an amplifier specifically built for me. So I plug a, a box that was an amplifier into the desk right so you could turn the desk up full and then i plug my headphones into the amplifier so you could turn the amplifier up do you see what i mean right that's way too much and oh it was just so great like i used to do a metal show where i would play slayer wearing headphones but it would be like being at a slayer gig where your bones feel like they're rattling <laughs> i would get that effect from my headphones that's right? like have you ever been in a car where like they have a lot of bass and right. you feel like the inside of your nose kind of rattling as the music plays you just dealt with that at all times well yeah but that's the pussy version because that's when your nose is rattling i wanted it to make me feel like i might be having a heart attack <laughs> like it needed the volume needed to penetrate my whole body right. right i always used to say if you went to a slayer show 
and they retired a couple of years ago, so you can't until they get back together again for the money. Inevitably. Going to see Slayer was like being beaten up for 90 minutes. It was just so <laughs> relentless. Like, not just the volume they played at, but the style of music of right. Slayer. Oh, God, such a good beating to take. So that was how I was living my life, okay. right? And then one day I got this really bad earache. <laughs> Imagine. Who, who would have thunked it? <laughs> right, exactly. So anyway... I go to uh, I go to this doctor on uh, Harley Street, which is like where all the high end doctors are, and this is where um, you know a lot of uh, musicians go to get their clean bill of health and stuff like that. They're basically these are the doctors where because in the UK they've got the so- the socialist healthcare service, the NHS, where everything's free, ah. um, but it's difficult to get what you want whereas if you go to harley street you're paying the doctor and they're they're pretty much give you like whatever yeah the good stuff so i've got this earache and i think i'm gonna go i'm gonna and and suddenly i'm thinking of my nan oh ian bowls of it come out and it's so relaxing i go every year because i stopped having sex a few years ago and this is the closest i get to that orgasmic feeling that last bit she never said but now you've got me thinking that that was what you know and check out this earwax candle i just made see it's all full circle and this I'm, is where I, the love I, comes I, from i'm thinking i want to go to harley street to the best doctors in the uk and go have one of these eargasms right and you know also my dad would say oh yeah 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 it's it, it's very relaxing but what i didn't realize when you go to Harley Street, is so you go in there and you know you have to pay quite a bit of money to go see one of these doctors, but they will give you like whatever you want. So I went in there and I said, Yeah, I got this problem. So he has a look in there and my ears, and he goes, Oh, yeah, you've got a red that's a the huge buildup of wax. And I said, Right, okay. And um, he goes, I'm gonna uh, there's a specialist downstairs that can do it, uh, we'll, we'll get it done now. So the doctor who sees me first takes me to the ENT specialist. And he says to the person, this man is a radio presenter. We need to give him his full hearing back right now. Uh. Now, I didn't realize at the time that was the worst thing that could happen. (laughs) Because what they normally do if they're going to do some sort of wax extraction is give you eardrops or something to soften everything up like there's a process. You don't just go straight into it. So I'm laying back in the chair thinking, oh, I'm about to get bowls come out. This is going to be the relaxing doctor version of, I mean, in my head, Steely Dan are playing. Oh, my God. This motherfucker came at me with a hoover. right a hoover for your ear and when i say a hoover you know like if you're gonna go to the dentist and they switch on the drill it was like that but 10 times louder so it basically in your ear well they're coming towards my ear with the hoover so it looks like something that obviously is going to fit in your ear but this thing has got so much suction it's as loud as the average vacuum that you would use to do your carpets right (laughs) And he went, he, I know I sometimes before I'm about to say something controversial on this podcast, I say grip onto something firm. I'm, I'm about to say something controversial. This ENT literally said to me, you might want to grip the sides of the chat, right? You're not going to like this, sir. Literally, this, it, this, and, and, he, and he's, and I'm like, ah! and he's like, sit still, sit still. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. And I'm like, this might be as close as I'm ever going to get to childbirth, and all we're taking out is a bit. Of, and and it went and it went on. It probably only went on for a, a, like thirty seconds, but it seemed more like thirty minutes, right? And he pulls this, but this is that pulls it out, and then eventually he's like, "Okay, 
I've got it all now. And he went, look at that. That's what was giving you some issue. Anyway, my point being, now these motherfuckers are doing this on TikTok and getting 36 million views. I feel like what you just described is like, that has to be the old age version of getting wax out of the ears. Like that's the lobotomy version of clearing the ears. What about candling? You're a huge fan of candles. Have you ever tried that? This was pre my candle fixation. Yeah, but I'm sure since then you've had wax build up. Yeah, probably. But I feel like, see, what I did wrong was go in there going, I'm a radio presenter. I need to be able to hear. You need to fix this now. I'm paying for this. And suddenly I went from, yes, I was at the high-end doctors. Well, they'll give you what you want. But the procedure was more like going to some fucking alley behind a strip club, finding some alcoholic that used to be a doctor that got struck off and was going, oh, I'll get your ear wax out. And so, and and and, and I, I just like... Oh. For about 20 years previous to this, all I used to hear from my... She used to look forward to it. Like, old people look forward to birthday sex. Oh, I'm going to get my ears syringed tomorrow. It's going to be like the most relaxing thing ever. This was one of the most painful experiences I ever had. Yeah, no interest in that. I mean, like, again, I'm a, I'm a Q-tipper, so if there's even a little bit of uh, coloration on the end of the Q-tip, I'm excited. I don't think I need to go to a doctor to have them pull out an entire candle out of my ear also uh the uh, after this uh there was a, a the, about a month later motorhead were coming through town and by this point um i'd become friends with lemmy and i remember having a drink with him before the show and we, i hadn't seen him for a while and we're having a catch-up and i'm telling him an abridged version of the story i just told you and um I mean, you wouldn't necessarily think that going to Lemmy from Motorhead for health advice was particularly the way forward. But I was telling him that story and he looked at me and went, you did what? And I said, well, and he went, you should keep the wax in there. And I said, what do you mean? And he went, you're going to a Motorhead show tonight. The wax is what protects your ears from the volume. How fucks do you think you're going to be off? You've been to one of our shows and you've got no wax in there. Fucking pointless going in the first place. You might be deaf for life, he said. <laughs> I was like, great. Now you tell me. <laughs> um, so when you get your bullet, it'll just be full of his earwax. Oh, still waiting for my Lemmy bullet, by the way suggesting that I wasn't as good of friends with him as some bloke who hosted Headbangers Ball and the lead singer from Ugly Kid Joe. Let's kill them and steal even, their bullets. Do you even know who Ugly Kid Joe are? No. I know who you are. They had a hit with a song called Everything About You. Maybe that wasn't a hit here. Maybe it was a, a hit only in the UK. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently the singer from Ugly Kid Joe has got a bullet. Plus... They're going to have done all of the speed that's clearly like mashed up with Lemmy's <laughs> remains. There's going to be none left for me by the time the bullet comes around. I'm just going to go to Walmart, buy you a bullet, Sharpie Lemmy on and just put it in the mailbox, <laughs> calm you down. Just to keep me happy. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just wanted to touch on this while we're talking about such things. Uh, well done to uh, both Motorhead and Iron Maiden, my two favorite bands of all time ever, ever, ever. Um, the 25 best albums of the 80s was compiled today. Now, it was compiled by Ultimate Guitar, which is why it may lean towards guitars. Uh, so, the, I mean, the top five in reverse order, Moving Pictures by Rush, Number of the Beast Iron Maiden, Back in Black ACDC, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses, and the best album of the 80s, according to this uh, poll, is Master of Puppets by Metallica. Jeremy has a few issues with this countdown. Well, it's just... I mean, it's the most biased 80s music countdown I've ever heard. Now, you know, again, 
no disrespect here to Iron Maiden and Rush, but to not have Michael Jackson and Prince higher than those two albums is just absolutely insane. Michael Jackson's Thriller is at number seven. And the thing with Michael Jackson... Those are the number two... Those are the one and two albums of the 1980s. I'm sorry. It depends on how recent the latest Michael Jackson pedophile allegations are. (laughs) I feel like when... If we were maybe another year out of that HBO documentary, then you might have found Thriller at number one. But at number seven, I mean, no one is claiming that Lars Ulrich ever diddled anyone with a drumstick, are they? Which is why Master (laughs) of Puppets can safely be at number one. I'll, I'll give them this. Appetite for Destruction arguably could be the number one album. Master of Puppets, great album. But I mean, like, clearly this list is influenced heavily by metalheads. I mean... For Megadeth to make the out to make the list, for Slayer to make the list, is for Queen's Reich to make the list is absolutely insane. For King Crimson to make the list, King is Crimson, absolutely insane. Yeah, they, where are they? Discipline number twenty-two. The funniest. Hey, part but I this, thought King Crimson were a sixties band. Even I don't. They had an album out in nineteen eighty-one. Even I'm apparently not familiar with that. The, it's so the wildest part about this list is somehow all these metalheads were like number twenty-five. So Peter Gabriel. <laughs> Well, you know why that is? You know, I played So the other day on Spotify, and you know what turned me back onto So? Watching um, Harry Styles do a cover of Sledgehammer, because yeah, Sledgehammer's on cover. that Peter Gabriel album. None of these metalheads who are voting on Ultimate Guitar are going to admit that Harry Styles made them rediscover Sledgehammer and the So album by Peter Gabriel, but I'm going to say that's what happened, because you know what they were doing? They Because he did it on Howard Stern, right? That's, yeah. what, that's what got all the traction. They saw the video of Harry Styles on Howard Stern and went... Fuck me, that's one hot chick covering Peter Gabriel, <laughs> and they and they were uh, and after you know after they'd uh, got a little bit too excited, they're like, oh my god, it's a guy from One Direction. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. I, uh, the other shocking thing is, all right, two more shocking facts about this list. So let's take just like the general popular '80s album. Let's take the fact that it's clearly a metal's head list of the top albums. Where's Born in the USA? Where's Joshua Tree? Those are two of the greatest, like, standard rock albums. And then, obviously, uh, not a lot of people are going to side with me on this, but that's when the the beginning eras of hip-hop happened. You have multiple Beastie Boy albums from the 80s that didn't make the list. Paul's Boutique, License to Ill. Mm. There's Run DMC albums. There's uh, the Public Fear, Enemy Fear of a album. Black Planet was 80s. Was that 80s? That's yeah. Public Enemy, well, right? Also, one of the greatest albums in hip-hop history, Straight Outta Compton, was, I believe, 88 or 89. Mm. Also, you have De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising, which brought in, helped usher in the Zulu Native Tongues era of hip-hop that dominated the 90s. Mm. This list is flawed. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, as a side note, and I, I, I don't know if they're announcing this this week or he's just trying to get some attention, but according to Elton, there is a Metallica, Elton John something in the works he's claiming that they've done something and it's and it's all ready to go well he said he didn't clarify music he just said they worked on something i'm starting to think that him and lars are in the lab metallica the musical well they're working on a cure for baldness clearly Because he said nothing about music. <laughs> he just said they were working on something. And those are two guys who have struggled with baldness for some years now. Didn't Elton get the 
the so, so he was one of the first people who got hair sewn in, wasn't he, Elton? Oh, I just he, figured that he hasn't Elton got hair now. I know it's like I, I think he's open about the fact like he went bald and then and then had well, I mean, it. I don't think he has any choice of he being went, open. Darling, get me some hair. Yeah. I didn't know it was sewn on, but I mean, I'm sure he still has some bald spots. He would like to grow out with the help of science. Right. Yeah, 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 maybe. Well, the trick with all of that is always um, if you don't want to admit to having your hair fixed, make it look realistic. Because I feel like for, for certain artists from a certain era, when they grow older, there's always a fascination with, with how they look and if their hair starts thinning. Um, it, it, it speaks to something we said on the previous episode, and I stand by this, where it's a really sexist thing that... Famous men who were considered good looking when they were younger can carry on being good looking no matter how ragged they become as long as they don't get fat. Right. Whereas for famous women that were considered good looking when they were younger, it's a massively sexist thing that it's way harder for them to still be considered um, that, 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 that they're in that, that that they look good because they can stay in good shape. But you'll see, you know, like a guy. I'm trying to think of an example now, but there's. Plenty of examples of people that where their hair started thinning and then they start to try and fix it and it becomes a sort of like, how's the hair doing? Because I remember the one time when I was in Shitsville and David Lee Roth booked a solo tour of the UK and he hadn't been to the UK in many, many years and I don't think he's been back since, which just makes me love David Lee Roth even more. Like he doesn't, doesn't get, you know... Van Halen hated England so much that they only did one tour there with Sammy Hagar. All the years they were with Sammy Hagar. They, they know only... what a proper country is. Exactly. And so did Diamond Dave. He went over a few times as a solo artist, but not that many times. He knew better. But the one time he came into the UK and I booked an interview with him and I was so excited because I do think David Lee Roth might be the ultimate um, American person ever, ever, ever. And everyone at my radio station was going... What do you think his hair's going to look like? What do you think his hair's going to look like? And prior to this, he'd had different hair, and I don't know whether they were extensions or wigs, but it wasn't it wasn't looking good. And he came in and he had hair of a decent length, and it looked like it was real hair. It was the most convincing David Lee Roth hair that I'd seen. But if you looked back prior to this, several years before, he had probably thinner hair than what he had when he came into to the UK. Right. But the big thing was, was like when he bent over, you could see there was a bald spot at the back. And I was like, Diamond Dave, that's where you know you've got it going on because you've had your hair fixed, probably at great expense. And you said to them, leave a little Dave bald spot at the back so people <laughs> think it's real, right? It looks more keep convincing. Keep natural, right? Yeah, yeah. Keep that unnatural hair natural looking. See, I, I understand the struggles of all these bald balding rock stars because it's just not a cool look to have a big giant bald spot on the top of your head that's the whole reason i started growing out my hair because i have a reservoir of baldness on the top of my head i was getting my hair cut one time and i was just complaining about like oh i'm so young i'm going bald blah 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 and the lady says she's like yeah you have this bald spot but look at how thick the hair is in the back all you got to do is grow it out and trump it forward <laughs> And now that's my current look. I either do that, I let my hair down, or what I've been doing lately, only you can see this, but I'll take like the two wings of my hair and I'll tie it in a bow on the top of my head. <laughs> this is actually... <laughs> this looks insane, right? What bald spot, sir? 
<laughs> that is a great fix. Yeah, I'll. Uh, this might be the first time the audience <laughs> has to see what I look like. You might be able to tweet this look out. <laughs> yeah, it's a good look. I'm telling you, it's a good. It kind of looks like I'm wearing a turban, but a hair turban. <laughs> David Lee Roth had figured this out. He probably could have saved himself a lot of money. Elton John, too. He wouldn't have needed a duck costume. <laughs> well, Check out my hair turban. Well, okay. So let me ask you this. Would you prefer Metallica and Elton to be working on a cure for baldness for the sake of Elton and Lars Ulrich or to be working on a musical project? Because whenever I read Metallica collaborating with someone who you might suggest is an unlikely collaborator, I just think, oh my God, it's going to be like the Lou Reed album. Do you remember the <laughs> Lou Reed album? No. Do you remember, they made an album about 10 years ago with Lou Reed that sounded like Metallica, oh, yeah, 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 but yeah. with Lou Reed doing his sort of like spoken mm-hmm. word poetry over right. the top with really... Um, it, so it's like the perfect combo of way too hard and way too soft. Except that Lou Reed was. I, I feel like one of my best friends, Nick, is a huge Metallica fan, and he said that actually, if they'd have taken Lou, because Lou Reed's lyrics on this album were really violent and agitated, and he said if they'd have taken Lou Reed's lyrics and had James Hetfield sing them you might have had a really good Metallica album because there's this theory that since James Hetfield got sober and obviously has earned loads of money, he's not the angry man that he was that wrote stuff for Master of Puppets and such like before. Um, So that might have been an, an, an idea. But instead, you had these really kind of like violent, aggressive Lou Reed lyrics that were being recited like poetry by an old man who sounded like he couldn't get out of his armchair and was having trouble changing the TV (laughs) with a remote, you know. So he's like going, I want to see you on the floor. Like, like, I mean, he might as well have been going, forget what the the lyrics would say. The lyrics were great, but because of Lou Reed's tone and the fact he was very old and, and sadly at that point, you know, not that far away from actually dying... Because of his delivery, it might as well have been like, I can't get this channel, the weather channel. I can't get my TV off the weather channel. And I want to watch Wendy Williams. And it's really <laughs> pissing me off. But those weren't the lyrics, but they sounded like they could have been because it's like of like a the, poetic the, version yeah, of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's so, a poetry version of him being like, I broke my hip, but I just want heroin. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, like that kind of thing. And so... Um, the, um, I guess that Lou Reed, and I actually like Lou Reed. I, I saw him live a few times, um, uh, in the UK and in New York once. And I, I like Lou Reed being Lou Reed, but Lou Reed and Metallica, you know, the sum of the parts wasn't, right. you know, what it, what, what it, what it should have been. See, I think you're expecting Elton to go towards Metallica's style on this. And we get like a metal version of Elton. I think you're wrong on that. I think the alcohol is out of James's system, he's not as angry anymore. Oh. They're going 70s soft rock from now They're gonna on. They're going to re-record your song as a ballad and, <laughs> and sing it between the two of yes. them. Yeah. It's going to uh, be uh, James, James sitting Hatf- on... James Hatfield's going, It's a little bit funny, this feeling's inside! See, I was thinking like Elton at the keys and James like at the end of the piano with his legs kicked up like the 1950s <laughs> lady singer. <laughs> Maybe a dress. I don't know. It's 2021. He can act like that beautiful chick, Harry Styles. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that's good thinking. Or 
Suddenly, in a few months' time, I'm up late on the Sundance channel watching a rerun of Columbo, and suddenly this infomercial comes on halfway through, and it's uh, Lars Ulrich and Elton John going, hey, is your hair receding a bit? Because we've got a great new cure for balding. <laughs> and then like a little insert from David Lee Roth going, if you want to make it look natural, keep a bald spot at the back. <laughs> and if not, trump it forward. <laughs> Oh, God, we had so much extra stuff to get to, and we're uh, completely out of time. Let me just uh, complete today's podcast by saying, because now I brought it up, that day with David Lee Roth in Shitsville, I hated living in England by that point, and I spent maybe 45 minutes with David Lee Roth. It's the only time I've ever met him. But it was like he brought America to me for those 45 minutes, (laughs) because David Lee Roth, just as a person is so American. This is why I say like he might be the ultimate American person. 45 minutes in his presence. And like I said, the, my co-workers were used to me being very, very angry, as we discussed earlier in this podcast. So it was very unusual to see me like this beaming ray of sunshine. And it lasted probably a good couple of weeks to the extent that I would just walk around places and people would see this happy demeanor. And they would literally say, what on earth happened to you? And I'd go, I met David Lee Roth two weeks ago. (laughs) It basically made it so you didn't have to move to America for another year or two. It kind of tidied me over everything about... I remember he when he came in, um, someone was getting him to sign something. And we'd done this. I told him I loved America. So he ramped up like the Americana of the, you know, putting on the Diamond Dave show for the interview. And I remember he was looking down, signing something. And I remember saying to him, because I was just like a giddy little kid. I went like, oh, you know, like the first time I ever drove in America, I went to the Hertz rental on Sunset Boulevard. And I put the classic rock station on the first time I got in a car I ever drove on. And I said, and I'm pulling onto Sunset Boulevard for the first time ever in Los Angeles. And Panama by Van Halen's Uh, playing on the radio. David Lee Roth looks up and goes, stops signing, he goes, that's a Californian experience. I'm like, ah! <laughs> but my favorite thing, and we will end the podcast now, but I've, I'm now I'm on a roll. Um, he had to go to the next interview, and I took him back down to reception, and he had a, a bodyguard with him. And I can't remember what the story was, but we're in the elevator, and David Lee Roth is in the middle of telling some very animated, full-on Americana story. Random and, high-pitched screams in the I middle. Mean, yeah, literally, yes, exactly like that. <laughs> And uh, But he's running behind time for his interview schedule because, you know, he talks way too much. So we get to the reception and he's still telling me this like massively, massively animated story. And it's kind of like me and him and his entourage are over in the other corner. And the bodyguard comes up and taps David Lee Roth on the shoulder and goes, Dave, I don't mean to interrupt, but we're really late for the next interview. And then referring to me and Dave... I was going to say having a conversation, but I wasn't saying a thing. He was just telling this massive story, right? <laughs> that's how conversations with, with David, David Lee Roth go. go. That's exactly how it is. <laughs> Referring to he and I in this reception area, he turns to his bodyguard and he goes, Hey, the next interview can wait. We're having Dave time. Oh. <laughs> Dave time is what America is all about. Oh my God. Dave time. I live in Dave time. <sighs> He's just uh, fuck central time zone. 
Dave time for life. Dave definitely lives in his own time in every in every regard. Whatever you want Dave time to be, the fact he's late for everything, the fact he talks way too much, the fact he seems to live on a different planet. What there definitely is a, a thing that is Dave time that exists in his head. On the top of which there is very realistic looking hair with a little ball patch at the back, a little hat spot. All right, did we America today? We definitely did. <laughs>